the word ekphrasis comes from the Greek for the description of the work of art produced as a rhetorical exercise. It is a vivid, often dramatic, verbal description of a visual art piece. This is Darwin Messidu. Welcome to The Ekphrastic, a podcast where we paint pictures with words. Today's subject, Leonardo da Vinci. The polymath in painting, drawing, sculpting, science engineering, architecture, even anatomy. All that to come later. But first, let's get into some art news. Frank Bolin was knighted by the Queen, y'all. Queen of England. Um, as he enjoys his late career rise to widespread fame, um, artist Frank Bolin has been knighted by the Queen uh, as part of her birthday honors list, which is given out twice annually, once in on New Year's Eve and once on the Queen's birthday. Bolin had already been named an officer of the Order of the British Empire, and the knighthood is yet another symbol of his growing status within the British art world. I'm going to have to feature this guy Um uh, this brother some some point in the near future i'm gonna put a note put a pin in that one the remainder of queen's birthday honors list for this year will be revealed on saturday few black british artists have been named knights for some the designation has been a fraught one in 2003 the poet benjamin zephaniah famously rejected the award because of the years of brutality associated with the word quote empire quote unquote which he said Im implicitly can be linked to slavery and colonialism. Attitudes have begun to change, however. Uh, in 2019, artist and filmmaker Steve McQueen accepted the knighthood. He said, because I'm from here and if they want to give me an award, I'll have it. Thank you very much. Bolin, who was born in uh, Guyana, sorry, and is based in London and New York, had a similar reaction to McQueen. In a statement, he said, trained in the English art school tradition, my identity as a British artist has always been crucial to me, and I have viewed London as my home since 1953. Uh, since then, uh, what was then, you know, British Guyana, to be recognized for my contribution to British painting and art history with a knighthood, it makes me extremely proud. So, he'll take it. Semi-abstract paintings um, drawings on his own biography and various histories of colonialism have exhibited often has been exhibited often in recent years having made the jump from figuration to abstraction in the 1960s he has been embraced as a pioneer for his process-based abstractions which obliquely pay homage to forced migration and exodus without explicitly representing them his work appeared in the Traveling Survey, Soul of a Nation, Art in the Age of Black Power in 1963 through uh, 1983, which first opened at Tate Modern in London in 2017. Tate organized its, its own bowling survey in 2019. Earlier this week, he joined the roster of one of the world's biggest galleries, Hosier and Worth. So congratulations to uh, Mr. Frank Bowling. Well, like I said, we're definitely going to have to check him out uh, in a future episode. 
Okay, yeah, guys, so we talked about this uh, a couple months back, um, a couple episodes back, and what's happening here is Palm Springs Art Museum, um, they're going to do some deascension, a $2.5 million uh, dollar, uh, piece from Helen uh, Frankenthaler uh, at Sotheby's. They're being sold there. So yet another American museum has announced a move to deascension, a major work from its permanent collection. We talked about this, and what I was saying is that a, a lot of these, a lot of these museums are going to have to start doing. A lot of these art galleries will, are going to have to do this. They have these things in storage, just collecting dust, and the the prices and the worth of some of these, um, you know, these portraits, these sculpt, uh, these sculptures, you know, all these pieces that they have in storage. It's all theoretical, really, what they're worth, but. Um, when you put it out for when you put it on the the auction block, we can really see what some of this stuff is, is really worth. And so this this piece um, is called Carousel by Helen Frankenthaler, and it's it's estimated to go for about 2.5 to 3.5 million. Um, we'll see if it gets that much, but I mean it's a double-edged sword here. You, you in the age of Rona, you don't have as many patrons coming into your galleries but and you need the money and now you have all these these pieces in your collection you maybe bring out once every three years just do a quick exhibition and um mostly they're just collecting dust and storage you know you're paying folks to maintain this work uh the, these curators are, are you know they, they got to get paid too so you know what are you gonna do you you, you need to make some money and but again now you're risking flooding the art market. So you flood the art market is if more institutions start doing this or taking advantage of the relaxed rules, the price of art goes down. And I can't be having the price of art go down just when black folks are starting to get into these spaces and starting to really make income and, and, and build a legacy off of, off of their work. So, double-edged sword, like I said. So, in a release, the museum said that the decision to sell the Frankenthaler, a large canvas filled with overlaid red brushstrokes and color fields, comes after a recent review of its permanent collection this summer, which was conducted as part of a years-long initiative to diversify and expand its holdings. Funds from, the sale, funds from the sale will be put in a restricted account and will be used for both collection maintenance and future acquisitions. In keeping with newly relaxed guidelines with the Association of Art Museum Directors, a key industry group. The museum said uh, future deascensions will be made, but did not further detail its financial plans for the fund. I love the way they snuck that whole um, expand its holdings language in there. Uh, that's, um, you know, what's happening is that it's a move to diversify. You know, a lot of these institutions are feeling that pressure. Uh, about time really to diversify their holdings and um, not only their holdings but their staff um, the communities that they're in the outreach that they perform you know these exhibitions it sometimes can feel like a bit of affirmative action uh, I don't want I know that's a loaded term there but hey I'll, I'll take it you know I'll take it it's 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 a tangible difference one step at a time, we'll take it as a tangible difference. And when these diverse, these diversification movements um, 
happen more and more, and it can perhaps then become part of the institutional DNA. And that's what I really am looking forward to. But in the meanwhile, all right, <laughs> you, you want to make this move to diversify and um, you know, you have things like Oscar so white trending. You don't want to be like, oh, the Met is so white, <laughs> you know, and uh, Sotheby's is so white. You know, they're they're not auctioning off or they're not um, displaying black art and these things. So, fine. In the meanwhile, we'll keep pushing. So, so this uh, this is a huge uh, canvas. So this thing is this thing measures seven feet high and seven feet seventeen feet wide. Would look great <laughs> in my living room. Uh, but I'm just short of the 2.5 mil. <laughs> Anyways, so the carousel has been in the museum's collection for almost three decades. Three decades collecting dust. <laughs> Man. Uh, it is one of 132 works donated uh, by philanthropist and interior designer Steve Chase. Upon his death in 1994, uh, along, alongside other works from his collection by David Hockney, Ellsworth Kelly, Ed Rocha, Sam Francis, Nathan Oliveira, he also gifted a 1.5 million gallery wing named for him in 1996. The work is one of only two Frank Frankenthaler's works dated from the 19 from uh, 1960s 1970s in the museum's holdings. So there you there you have it. Um, it it's happening, y'all. It's happening. So uh, get your checkbook out. You know, um, you know, maybe you want to put a bid on one of these uh, one of these puppies. Uh, just keep an eye out. Because more and more of these galleries are going to be dusting off some of these uh, these these classic works that um, you know. And, and if anything, at least people get to see them now, right? Instead of just again being in storage. Um, so, looking forward to uh, <laughs> you know what 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 the next uh, shoe to drop on, on this deascension thing. So uh, we'll we'll follow up on it again in the future. And for our main piece today, we have something from Art in America. Um, so Rosa Rodriguez Williams is has just been appointed, and she's got a new job, at the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston as the Senior Director of Belonging and Inclusion. Oh, I just got this? About time. Following a racial incident in the spring of 2019, yeah... That's usually how it happens. The museum launched a fund for diversity and inclusion initiatives. Rodriguez Williams, who previously helmed the Latinx Student Cultural Center at Northeastern University, she discusses here in this article, um, working with staff and engaging historically underrepresented audiences and some related topics. And again, I remind you, this is Boston. <laughs> so good luck. Rosa, I, I, you know, I wish you the best. I'm doing a lot of listening in my new position so far. I've been learning as much as I can among, about the museum and those who work here. I am prioritizing visitor experience by working alongside colleagues on everything from exhibitions to learning programs to cultivate a sense of belonging. I want everyone who visits the MFA Boston to feel, uh, to feel seen, valued, and respected. I've always been very interested in this kind of work. I've had about 20 years of experience creating inclusive spaces for people of marginalized identities and backgrounds. But I'm really excited to foster inclusion in this space and in this time, which are, with our, which are so fraught with conflict and division. 
I'm currently leading the voluntary group inclusion, diversity, equity, and accessibility. Whoa, that's a lot. Okay, so there's an acronym. It's IDEA. I-D-E-A. Inclusion, diversity, equity, and accessibility. Well played. Uh, so she's leading this voluntary group where museum staff discuss issues of inclusion, diversity, and access. We're working on forming affinity groups where we can all come together to learn from each other. So she goes on. During one of my first days at the MFA Boston, a colleague of mine took me on a walk in the art uh, of the American wing. I found it so incredibly moving to see works from different historical time periods before entering the Women Take the Floor exhibition, which focuses on overlooked and underrepresented female artists of the 20th century. There was a dedicated spot in the show where visitors could sit and write their thoughts. One note read, this was odd, like me. And it struck me that people could see representation of themselves in this show and had the opportunity to engage. I loved being able to read their comments and see the ways in which women take the floor impacted them. The show is closed right now due to, due, due to coronavirus, but I'm looking forward to its reopening. Ultimately, as I was walking through the American wing, I could see examples from various historical periods of what inclusion looks like. This is what we are striving towards. Okay. I only hope that as you take on this new role, that you, Rosa, will be able to bring your full self to this position and not just sit on the laurels of the title. Um, these... You know, so these galleries and these museums have a funny way of losing their artistic culture. I'm trying to thread a needle here. Of losing their artistic culture to becoming just another corporation. And that's not what art should be. I, you know, hey, I'm, I'm of no illusion. Capitalism runs <laughs> the art industry. Like the monetary value that we put on some of these. Hey, I'm just an amateur art enthusiast here, but I'm looking at some of the stuff and, and I don't see the soul in it. I don't see the skill the passion the commitment and some of the things that I see sell for millions of dollars it's almost like sometimes it's it's an insult again amateur art enthusiast if you're able to bring your full self to this position Rosa you can help reveal those things from communities that's been dis, uh, that that's been marginalized in this industry. Help them tell their stories, and it will be part of your story. 
part of your legacy. These institutions, as corporations, they'll create a position like there's no problem and just put a label on it and give you a title and, and say, hey, boom, we did this, put out a news release and forget about it. But there's meaning that could happen here. You can bring meaning to this. So I don't know if you're listening, listening, Rosa, but at least from the uh, the one article that they let you put out, well, from one article that was written about this, they, they let you tell your story there, but it really did not speak a lot about diversity, really. It didn't speak about people of color, whether it's Latinx or black. It, it didn't. Is it foreshadowing? I surely hope not. I surely hope you keep your foot on the gas, take this position, and hold them accountable to what they say they want to do. So, those were some news from the art world. Let's get back to our artist, Leonardo da Vinci. One of the most important and influential figures of the Renaissance was the painter, sculptor, architect, and engineer Leonardo da Vinci. A man often referred to as an artist who epitomized the Renaissance art. He is amongst the greatest painters in history, and with his unique powers of observation and competence as an illustrator, it allowed him to recreate the effects he saw in nature and added vigor to his portraits. Born in 1452 in the town of Vinci, Leonardo began his early artistic training in Florence, working at the workshop of the sculptor Andrea Verrocchio. There, he received a multifaceted training in painting, sculpting, and technical mechanical arts. Leo left Verrocchio's workshop in 1476 and worked independently in Florence until about 1481. Many historians and scholars regard him as the prime exemplar of the universal genius or Renaissance man, an individual of unquenchable curiosity and feverishly inventive imagination. And he is, he's widely considered one of the most diversely talented individuals ever to have lived. According to art historian Helen Gardner, the scope and depth of his interests were without precedent in recorded history, and his mind and personality seemed to be almost superhuman while the man himself mysterious and remote. Now, I wouldn't... He may, they, he may have been considered mysterious and remote, but I wouldn't say that's how he, you know, moved through the world. His life was actually all about logic rather than mystery and empirical methods and he he used all this stuff uh in his in in all his endeavors uh, it was rather unorthodox for his time da vinci made a scientific study of light and shadow light and shadow in nature to to realize the objects that were that objects weren't necessarily composed of outlines i remember when i was when i first took um uh like a beginning um beginning what is a figure drawing course and the uh, the professor told me, oh, by the way, life doesn't have outlines, so I don't want to see any outlines. And I was like, 
It was like an epiphany. You're like, duh, of course life doesn't have outlines. It, until somebody, you know, literally says it to you, you just don't even think of those things, especially when we grew up with cartoons and, and um, um, you know, animation and um, in movies. You, you know, especially earlier on, you see there's an outline on <laughs> on Simba. Uh, but, you know, he used this, uh, the tech, this technique of, you know, without the outlines that, you know, showing the world in the three-dimensional way that it really is. This technique is called uh, chiaroscuro. Chiaroscuro. Okay. I'm not sure I'm pronouncing that right. But the realization and experimentation gave his paintings the soft, lifelike quality that made older works appear flat. Leo also understood that an object's color and detail changed as it retreated in the distance. Such a technique is called sfumato. This was first developed by Flemish and Venetian painters, but with da Vinci's artist genius, it became a powerful tool that created atmosphere and depth. And that brings us to today's expressic poem. Uh, it's actually not an original. It was written by Walter Pater. He's a, he was an uh, academic essayist writer in the late 1800s. Late 1800s, folks, so you're going to hear some funky old school English. He's describing none other than Mona Lisa. I'll give you a second to search for it in your browser. presence that thus rose so strangely beside the waters is expressive of what is the ways of a thousand years. A thousand years men had come to desire. Hers is the head upon which all the ends of the world are come, and the eyelids are a little weary. A beauty wrought out from within upon the flesh, the deposit, little cell by cell, of strange thoughts and fantastic reveries and exquisite passions. Set it for a moment beside one of those white Greek goddesses or beautiful women of antiquity, and how would they be troubled by this beauty into which the soul with all its maladies has passed? All the thoughts and experience of the world have etched and molded there, in that which they have of power to refine and make expressive the outward form. The animalism of Greece, the lust of Rome, the reverie of the Middle Age with its spiritual ambition and imaginative love, the return of the pagan world, the sins of the Borgias. She is older than the rocks amongst which she sits like a vampire. She has been dead many times and learned the secrets of the grave and has been a diver in the deep seas and keeps their fallen day about her and trafficked for strange webs with eastern merchants and as Leda was the mother of Helen of Troy and as St. Anne the mother of Mary and all this has been to her but as the sound of leers. 
and flutes. And living only in the delicacy of which it has molded the changing lineaments and tinged the eyelids and the hands. The fancy of a perpetual life sweeping together 10,000 experiences is an old one. And modern thought has conceived the idea of humanity as wrought upon by and summoned up in itself all modes of thought and life. Certainly, Lady Lisa might stand as the embodiment of the old fancy, the symbol of the modern idea. Leonardo was and is renowned primarily as a painter. Amongst his works, the Mona Lisa is the most famous and most parodied portrait in the world. The Last Supper, the most reproduced religious painting in the world of all time. Leo's drawings of the Vitruvian Man is also regarded as a cultural icon, being reproduced on items like the Euro coin, textbooks. I remember in middle school, my textbook had a... Uh, the Vitruvian Man on the cover. You, you can find his uh, that that particular uh, figure even on uh, T-shirts. The Mona Lisa is one of the most valuable paintings in the world. It holds the Guinness World Record for highest known insurance valuation in history at about a hundred million dollars. That was in 1962. Today, that's like 600 million dollars. Um, another painting by Leo Salvatore Mundi sold in 2017 um, for a new world record of, get this, 450.3 million at Christie's uh, in New York. The highest price ever paid for any work of art, ever. In his final years, while living in France, he did little painting and mainly worked on his scientific studies in his treatises uh, on painting. In April 1519, Leo devised a will and left the majority of his collection to his acclaimed pupil and companion, Francesco Melzi. He died later that year and was buried in Amboise. Leonardo remains amongst the world's most important figures in art history. However, it is important to note that his influence goes far beyond far beyond the drawings that is that he has you know the scientific diagrams technical studies and in his notebooks uh, they're known um to his scientific writings are known to and, mecha and mechanical inventions were known to be centuries ahead of their time the museo leonardino uh in vinci italy um offers the broadest and most original collections of machines and models devoted to um, Leonardo's, you know, engineer interests. So if you're ever in Italy, check that spot out. There's you know, the architecture, the architect stuff, and scientific, um, theoretical projects that he was working on. For history on Renaissance technology in general, it's a it's a great spot. Um, to take a tour so Leonardo da Vinci folks <laughs> it's been fun sharing this art with you today uh, thanks for joining me on this journey remember 
You can find this episode and other episodes cataloged at darwindarko.com. That's it for today. Thanks for listening. <laughs>